Welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with one of the best stories in all of the NBA this year and kind of this dark and dreary season. Christian Wood of the Houston Rockets, uh, probably the free agent signing of the summer at three years and $41 million coming to the Rockets. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, Woj. Thanks for jumping in. And it's... um, First, let me ask, last night against the Lakers, no no thought of jumping in one of those fights? Maybe nah, getting a little suspension and a fine? No? I'm trying to stay in my lane. We got we got a big cuss for, for those type of things. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, nah, I, try, I try and stay out of the way of that. He is legit NBA muscle, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's our muscle, so uh, <laughs> we beat him. That's great. Uh, listen, you've been this season – this is pretty amazing to me. I think you're third in the league, most consecutive 20-point games. It goes back to last season. I think you've got 12 now, and Bradley Beal is one, and uh, I think Colin Sexton might be the other, which is amazing. I thought I knew I knew Giannis had one under, but that's a pretty pretty good streak. But your numbers, Christian, 23, almost 10 rebounds a game, two blocks, 1.3 assists, and now. You know what they said last year. Well, he's having a good year with the Pistons, but once you got once you give this guy money, once you guarantee his contract, watch his production go down, go in the tank. Right? That's what he's he's got no reason to he's not going to play for you. For sure. So you, you've crossed that one off the list too, right? Yeah, I, I for sure crossed that one off, and I've definitely crossed the the one off where people were saying and talking about a small sample size. So I've crossed those two off the list. <laughs> what has it been like? Listen, you've been – it's funny. Even go back to high school. You played at a couple different high schools. You did play at UNLV for two years. And then you've played six different teams in the NBA, a bunch more G League teams. You went to China and came back. Right. What is it like to show up with a long-term contract, a real investment in you? And, you know, just it, – it's different than anything you've experienced at 25 years old now. For sure. I mean, it, it's it's a lot. It shows it shows my resilience and shows my, my my passion to the game of me just, you know, never giving up. I told Mark Jacobs before that, uh, you know, it's my time and that I felt like a lot of people were asleep on me and, you know, that I, it's my time to show myself and prove myself. And I think I'm going out there and doing a great job of doing that. I want to talk about your path, your journey. It's it's a pretty remarkable story, Christian. But, but this team in Houston this year, hey, listen, there's unrest everywhere. Like, there's stuff that people know about in public, right. like Houston, where people know James has asked for a trade. It's been out there. You have the preseason trade for John Wall and Russell Westbrook. And then you've been around the league. You've been in enough locker rooms. There's stuff people never hear about, but is going on within teams. What's the environment been like in Houston this year? Once James got in there and you're trying to figure out, well, how long is this team going to be together? You know, How good could we all be if we stay together? What's it been like to be a part of that? Believe it or not, the team's chemistry has been great. You know, since James has got in, we, we've all clicked, especially, you know, since James and John have known each other before even being on the team with each other. They already had they already had an established relationship, so it was great. And then John and uh, Boogie Cousins had a relationship, so they just meshed well. We all just really come together. I think the our only thing was that we just didn't have enough practice time together as a, as a group, so... You know, it'll be either, you know, two guys are out or, you know, James will be out or John will be out. We've never just had that group as a whole until like maybe a couple of games. So 
you know, the sky's the limit for us. And I think we can we can make a push in, in, the, in the Western Conference. What's it like you guys went through the COVID stuff really early in the season? You had your first game postponed. What's it like day in and day out where you're wondering all of a sudden you hear a couple teammates may have tested positive or teammate and then this guy's in contact tracing and now they're checking the uncertainty of it day to day. What has that been like this year in this league? It's tough, especially with all the testing that we're doing, all the you know the requirements we have to do to go through this this COVID thing where we get tested um, at you know certain times and we have to wait thirty minutes for the results to get back. So we're just you know we're just waiting and it's 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 tough. It's something new to us. We know we've never actually been in a pandemic, so we're we're still learning, still trying to get through it. And I know the league is still working together and trying to learn how to shine and fix things, trying to go through this contract tracing stuff. You know, my team has been a big, you know, you know they've been a part of it. So uh, we had guys sit out because of, you know, contact tracing and stuff like that. So it's just something that is tough, but we have to get get past it and, and find a way to work with it. I mean, you were at the very beginning of this. I think people forget this. Yeah. You put up 30-11 and 11 on Rudy Gobert yeah. in March. 30-11 and 11 and I think seven dunks. Right. Seven dunks on him. Rudy test positive, and then you didn't test positive until it was about a week later, right? Yeah, it was the Philly game. It was a Philly game, and then that's when the league shut down, right? And but what was different then was you you didn't get your test back in an hour or two. No, it was, no. It, nope. How long did it take from when you got tested to when you found out you were positive? It was actually crazy because that game that I played against Joel and B, I wasn't feeling very right i knew like something was was wrong so I, I went to the our training staff with detroit training staff and i got you know tests i said something's wrong they said oh you know it might just be like a mild cold or you know a fever or something i was like no nah, no cold feels like this so i actually go into that game playing with the with the virus without even knowing and then you know comes to find out that the league is shutting down right after the game but um i got the news back probably right after that game that's when they knew being at the very beginning of that and knowing a lot less about it than people know in this country now, right. how frightening was it when you weren't feeling well and you didn't know, is this going to progress? Am I going to get worse? What was it like initially with the virus and not knowing what it might do to your body? At the time, you know, I was I was scared for my life because, you know, I was one of two players to, to have it in the NBA, which is scary. Now, so I didn't know what was going on with the virus, the team didn't really know how to handle the situation that we were just, the league was just shutting down at the time. So we were still trying to assess that. And, you know, I was scared, you know, I'll call my mom and I'll call my family and I just stay close to them. And I did the best I could to, to be in a quarantine. Did you stay in your apartment, your house? I had to stay in my apartment by myself. Nobody wanted to come near me. And uh, I was in there for about three weeks. You went three weeks without seeing anybody. Without seeing anybody. Yeah. How long were you feeling symptoms in that? I only felt symptoms for about a day or two, and I got I got better after that, and I was perfectly fine and healthy. What's that isolation like, especially when the world's shutting down outside around you? Yeah, outside around me, especially everything like cities. You watch cities shutting down and stuff like that. It was it was crazy. You know, I definitely I definitely would say I was definitely lonely, but I, I learned to play you know a lot of video games at <laughs> that time. So it was it was definitely a, a blessing. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems, 
with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Christian, your journey to the league, I remember being at your pro day coming out of UNLV. Right. It was in Vegas. Yeah. It was... Kind of the headliner that day was Chris Apps Porzingis, mm-hmm. right? Yep. He had come over. I remember all the Knicks front office was there. Phil Jackson and Derek Fisher was the coach, and all of their skin. They had an army of people there yeah, to see him. Whole team there, yeah, yeah. But there were other pros, and you were a, for, at that time. You were probably certainly the next player everybody wanted to see, and and people knew Chris Apps was going to go to the top of the draft. I right. think your lot more teams were watching you. I know all 30 teams were there that day. It was a big-time pro day. Sure. I have my memories of it, and and it was really the, I guess, you know, people scout you, but those days have some value. What do you remember? Because you walk in the gym, everybody in the league's there. In your mind, I think at that time, you're coming out early because you're a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. How do you remember that day going? I remember that day going good. You know, I walked in the gym. I I see all the GMs. I see I meet Phil Jackson for the – for the second time. And, you know, I knew as soon as I, I see everybody that I had to bring my A game in the workout. And that's what I, I tried to do. And I tried to show them my versatility. I, I tried to show teams that I could, you know, shoot three and I could take bigs off the dribble. And now I'm more mobile than, you know, a lot of other bigs. And then from there, you go undrafted, which I think was shocking to everybody. I don't think there was a player that people maybe, you know, a lot of guys can drop out of the first round, but your size, skill, uh, how unique you are at 6'10", right. that kind of a player who fits your mold doesn't typically drop all the way out of the draft. What was it that they thought about you at the time, that, that, that your sense of why is this happening to me? What did you think was the reason it was happening to you at that time? Um, I mean, from what I heard, I heard it was just uh, my sense of urgency, my immaturity, and then you know, them just saying, you know, my work ethic. But you know, my my rebuttal to that was I averaged, I think, about five points my freshman year. And then going into my sophomore year, I turned the five points into 16 points and 10 rebounds. So if that's not, you know, work ethic, then I don't know, you know, what is. So how could you question that? And then it was just me being, you know, young at the time. I was I was one of the youngest players to, to come, come out of the draft, I think, I believe. And, uh, you know, it was just hard to make that decision that if you're a GM. But, you know, I believed in my skill set at the same time. When you look back at that time, what were they right about you? Where you say, you know what, I look back and this was a criticism of me. And maybe they got that right in terms of whether you said it was maturity, whether it was professionalism, whether it was like one team said to me, like, he's a good kid. He's not someone who you worry about character or trouble. It's can he get the alarm clock to work? It was more that stuff. Is that is that a fair assessment? I, w- I would say that that that's pretty fair. I would say that 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 comes in with you know immaturity at the same time. You know, I was a young kid coming in nineteen. I wasn't, you know, I was on a pretty. I was on the Philadelphia team. I think at that time we was one of the worst teams in the NBA. So it was a little. It was definitely 
a learning process for me and just, you know, coming into the league and trying to establish myself and being an undrafted guy and then trying to make a name for yourself. And then at the same time, you have to understand that you're undrafted. You have to do all the little things. You have to be four hours before games. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't really understanding that. So, you know, I got a better assessment of it now for sure. You know, I'm better now. What was it like being in Philly at that time? with what was going on there and the losing and it was it was like like I said it was a learning process it was definitely different I felt like I got better I felt like I was going to going up against great bigs you know every day I was going up against Joel and practice every day even though he wasn't playing that, uh, that year I was going up against Jaleel uh, Nerland so that whole time throughout that process even though I wasn't playing I was still getting better going up against premier bigs that play in the league and you're going up against guys too I mean Jaleel Okafor was in your draft Right. And he went third in a draft. You don't get picked at all. You know, he's still in the league. You're still in the league. Actually, he went to Detroit as you left Detroit. You know, things haven't exactly worked out probably the way they imagined with him. But when you're there, is there part of you going, wait a minute? He went third in the draft and I went undrafted and I'm on the court with him and I'm going, I'm not sure there's a difference here. In fact, I might think I think I might be better than him. Did that cross your mind when you'd be? I wouldn't necessarily I, – I always thought me being like at the time, I was immature at the time, I always thought I was just better than any any person in front of me. And I still have this mindset, you know, to this day, but it definitely crossed my definitely crossed my mind. But at the time, he was averaging 18 points a game, I think, as a rookie. So he was he was having a, a great season. So it was, it was trying to – it was kind of hard to tell a coach, hey, coach, put me in, this undrafted kid. Yeah. When, when you he have, did have a good start. He did have a good start in Philly. You have this yeah. kid averaging 18 points a game. So it's, it's, it, it was a little tough. But at the same time, like I said before, I've always believed in my game. Did it feel chaotic in Philly at that time? Was it a place to sort of sharpen it was, things that you needed to sharpen away from the court? Was, was the environment not maybe set up yet for that? It was. It, yeah, I wouldn't say the environment was was too right. It was definitely just a little, a little chaotic. And uh, I think at the time, one of the reasons why I got waived was for Elton Brand. We they needed to bring a veteran presence in because we had such a young team, and you know, off the court stuff was starting to affect on court. And so that's really that's really I think one of my first times being waived was for Elton Brand, which is who's crazy. He's the GM now of Philadelphia 76ers. When you would get waived by teams, were they telling you the same thing each time? Now sometimes it's a roster thing. We're gonna. We need a guard. We're going to bring in Tim Frazier. You get told different reasons. I'm sure they all told you, hey, listen, you have a future in this league. Stick with it. You're a talented young man. But was the one in China, when you go to China, you pack up, that's like a pretty big bridge to cross. I think mentally, I'm going to leave the NBA. I'm going to go to a very different place and try to get my career started, restarted. And did you even play a game in China before they... I played two preseason games in China. That was it. And they told you what? And then they told me that they didn't think I was good enough to play in the, in the league, in the CBA. They didn't think I was ready. Uh, I kind of looked at them crazy. But then, like, the next day they had my replacement. And I was practicing against my, my replacement without me even, you know, knowing it. So uh, after that, I just knew, you know, it was my time was up in China. And I, it was a testing point for me. It, it tested me for sure. When they said you weren't good enough, was it, do you think it was simply that? Had you been like late for a practice or had you, you know, is there anything? Honestly, that's that's just what they believed. I was never 
I was never late for a practice. I showed up. We did two a days um, every day before the preseason in China. And I was there for two, three months uh, working out with the team, just trying to try to figure it out. It's just something that, you know, they believed in. You know, everybody, everybody makes mistakes. So they're forgiven. Is that one, though, even if you don't believe they're right and you're like, come on, I, I can play. I can dominate here. They don't see it. But is there still a part of you at that moment that goes, I don't know, maybe everybody else is right and I'm wrong. I mean, what does it do to your confidence, your belief to try to keep pushing forward and getting some traction in your career? It's a testing point for sure. And it, it tells it shows what type of you know man you are uh, at the same time. It shows that, you know, how much confidence you have in yourself and how much confidence you have in your game. Uh, and I have, you know, the utmost confidence in myself and in my game. And I just knew that I, I needed an opportunity. I, I seen like every time I would step on the NBA floor that in a short amount of times I would do like a little something here and there. So I just always thought in my head, like, maybe what if I got 20 minutes in the game? Like, what could I do then? Maybe what if I got 30 minutes in the game? What could I do? What could I possibly do then? I just always was waiting for my opportunity. So I was going to keep shooting and keep trying until I got that opportunity. There's a point here where you change agents. You go with Adam Pensack. You have a uh, kind of a business manager, V Grossman. Right. What were the conversations you were having with these guys about, okay, we're because so much of it is about the opportunity you pick. You get different offers to go to summer league or to go to this training camp, but you got to figure out where's the place that I might have the best opportunity. Maybe they're not all offering. Maybe the money's kind of all non-guaranteed, sort of the same. How did you game plan at that point with them? Honestly, there was no game plan for me. I had, um, you know, no teams, you know, wanted me. Um, I think the only team that wanted me off of waivers was only one team to offer, which was uh, New Orleans at the time when they picked me up. But there was there was no game plan. It was just whatever team that wanted me, I had to go on and show that, you know, what I can do and show my skill set and, you know, show that I'm a different type of player. How much at that point do you feel like you're fighting against people want to put you in a box and say, he's this, he's the guy you can't count on, or he's the guy, well, these guys have all given up on him. So why should we, they can't all be wrong. As you're growing and maturing and your, your resolve gets better as you're going through this, how much of a struggle is it is to just start to sort of beat back the stereotypes or just the narrative that starts to shape when people hear the name Christian Wood? It, it's tough. It took me, it took me three to four years to try and change, you know, a narrative on me that people, people were wrong about, you know, it took, it took that long. And I, I wouldn't just say it's because of the opportunity. It's just, it's just because, you know, that they didn't really, you know, see me or know me, but it's a struggle, but it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I've worked towards and I've worked for, and, you know, I know the work I put out every, every place I go to, I, I put in, I put in the time, I put in the effort and I put in the work, you know, that don't take care of myself. Was there ever a moment that felt like a turning point or a game or a night or a stretch where you said, I'm going to be in this league. I'm good enough to be here and do this night for night. Do you ever remember that in any of these stops? I would probably say I felt that way when I was in Milwaukee. I was going up against, I got the opportunity actually, me and Giannis are still friends this day. We got the opportunity to work with each other and play a bunch of one-on-one and stuff like that. And I really felt like my game was definitely getting better. And I was competing with them. And at the time, we they were the number one team in the league, and he was in the, in the race for MVP. And I'm sitting here telling you whether people believe it or not, that I, I was competing with the MVP in practice almost every day, and I was holding my own. 
you know, most wouldn't believe me, but I knew where my game stood. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe I can, you know, play in this league. And then I went to New Orleans and I had, I had the opportunity to show it with Coach Gentry. And I felt like I did that. What did you learn being around Giannis day in and day out? Uh, just the work, man. You know, after games, we're, we're lifting. The next day when his day's off, we're, we're in the gym together. Uh, just the work he put in and it's the focus and the mentality. He's only focused on, you know, basketball, family, and, you know, trying to win. And then you really, I've been, I've been on several teams before this, so you really don't come across a lot of guys like that. And that really, that really stuck to me. Had you come across any guys like him? Is there anybody like him in terms of focus, work, uh, how driven he is? Is there anybody that you came across that you could compare him to? In my stops that I've been at, I would probably say Anthony Davis was the closest to him. In terms of the, his approach, his mindset, his work ethic, he was the he was the closest thing to him, I would say. And here is you play with probably the two most talented right. big men in the league, just the most gifted in different ways, both tenacious workers. And you're bouncing like in Milwaukee, you're, you're playing with a herd who's their G League team. You're putting up 30 points a night there. And then you come back, right, you drive back over to Milwaukee – and you're with him, and then in New Orleans, I think you were just with their team. But but listen, you know when you can hang with somebody. You know that when you can when you can play right. with them, and you're doing it against AD, and you're doing it against Giannis. And I, I guess I just wonder: was there part of that that just said, "I'm here and I'm doing it"? And you also know when you're getting the respect of that guy across right. from you. Like, what did that with both guys do for you? It helped my game. You know, it actually showed me. And I, I believe to this day that I can compete with the best bigs in the league. You know, I, I've showed it, whether people believe it or not, I've showed it, you know, a bunch of times that I compete with them. And I've earned, you know, respect from Giannis and I've earned respect from AD. And they believe that I could compete with, with them and, and some of the best bigs in this league. And that's what it's come to show me. When you think back to the teams who maybe just gave up on you and said, we're, we're not Either we're not believing what we're seeing or for whatever reason we're moving on. Were there parts, times, especially early on, where you thought, you know what, maybe I was talented enough, but there was something where they write about you in any way. When you look back and if you're honest with yourself, you go, I don't know if I was ready to do what I'm doing now in Houston, which is 23 points a game, 10 rebounds, two blocks. And those are all-star numbers in the Western Conference. Do you look back and say, well, maybe I just wasn't ready to do this? Or did you always think if you give me the minutes? I could have been doing this years ago. I always felt like if I had actually had the opportunity, if the team actually spent the time to actually really invest in me, that you know I I could produce and doing what I'm doing now. I'm not saying that as a rookie or as you know a sophomore in the league that I'll be putting up 23 and 10 of what I'm doing now. This is obviously you know my fifth year or fourth year in the league, and uh, it took it took time. But you know I would just say just you know if I was given the opportunity that I, I would be able to maybe I could have had an earlier chance to you know, be doing this. Maybe I wouldn't be doing this in, you know, my 15 and five years or my 16 and six years or however that number is. But, you know, maybe if I got the opportunity, I'd be doing it earlier. What was your, Christian, your childhood like playing, learning to love the game, playing on teams? What was that like for you? Like, how did you come to the game? Did you love it right away? Not every big guy loves to play. I've always loved the game. I've played it since I was six. My first pair of shoes were Kobe's, but my thing was, as a kid growing up, I was always the guy that was slept on, which is crazy. You know, I went to a powerhouse prep school in Finley Prep, 
Uh, I was playing behind Anthony Bennett, which he was the number one pick at the time. Brandon Ashley, I think he was a top 10 uh, recruit at the time. I was playing against behind guys like that. So my whole career, I've always just been that sleeper kid that nobody, you know, knew about. And, you know, sometimes on some sites, I wasn't even, you know, ranked. And uh, it just goes to shows, you know, that uh, how, how much work I put in to try and, you know, put myself out there. When you think back to like the whole the whole journey, Christian, is there part of you that says, listen, I, I guess it could have been easier. And but when you think about how it shapes you and, and maybe the way you appreciate things differently than other guys might in the league because of what you've been through, would you trade it? Do you think that there was value in what you had to endure? I wouldn't trade it for where I think going through everything made me to what I am now, which it made me have this chip on my shoulder, which I felt like I needed going into this league. You know, it made me, you know, it made my confidence go up. It made me go through the bad just to get to the good. So it's definitely something that I'm appreciative for. And I wouldn't trade it any other way because, you know, some guys come in, they get drafted, they get all this leisure, they get all this stuff. You know, I had to come in, claw, scratch, you know, fight for the last roster spot on every single team that I've been on besides the one I'm on today. And uh, it's just it's hard work. And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for anything. Do you wake up some days and still go, oh, like you're so used to waking up every day and all these years with all these teams wondering, am I going to play? Am I going to get sent down back to the G League? Am I going to get waived? What's it like to wake up and just know I just got to prepare to play tonight and I'm going to put up my 20 and 10 on somebody? I don't try and think necessarily like that. I try and keep the same mindset that I'm just that last guy still trying to make a roster spot, that I'm still the 15th man uh, trying to get picked, still trying to fight and to claw off the bench. That's how I approach you know, my games. And I think with that attitude, it brings the energy to the team and it helps my team out as well. You mentioned your coach, Steven Silas. He had been an assistant in Charlotte when you were there. And so, you know, Adam Pensack, your agent, tells you, hey, Houston's really interested. Here's what they might offer. Um, let's get on the phone with them. Mm-hmm. Were you curious? Like, what was your relationship like with Steven when you were there? Did you think that it was helpful to actually have somebody who had coached you before? I actually did. When I was – my time with him in Charlotte, he was my workout coach. So he was the guy I was always going to. So he knew my game, you know, in and out completely. He knew what I was capable of. He knew what, you know, I could bring to the floor. But he's, you know, never had that opportunity to be a head coach, obviously. But, you know, he knew exactly what I could do on the floor. So when when Houston called and I heard about, his, you know, him getting a head coaching job, I was like, oh, man, it's just it's, – it's another opportunity for me with a coach that – you know, likes me and likes my style, style of play. It's another opportunity for me to play. What's it been like without fans? Are you getting used to the fact that there are no fans generally? I think like Houston has, your arena allows some. Yeah, they allow, I think like 2,000. 2,000, right, right. And so it's like being at like an AAU tournament. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. A, like a, like, right, <laughs> right. It's like a big empty arena. But, oh, sure. but everywhere else you're playing in the league, a lot of places, there's just, there's nobody in there. Yeah, um, you and you weren't in the bubble, so you didn't experience that. What what's that been like? It's been definitely something that I'm I'm used to. I've been in a G League, and we we haven't had fans in in there at all. So it's definitely games I'm used to playing. And you just never would expect it going into a an NBA game, you know. But it's definitely something that I'm getting used to, and it's something I've been used to. So it's something that's uh, that's fun. Christian, this was uh, this was great. I appreciate you taking uh, the time out. You are off to tremendous season. The 23 points, almost 10 rebounds, two blocks a game. 
for the Rockets, just as you're starting out in this three-year, $41 million deal. But uh, listen, continued good luck, Christian. Uh, Thank good you. to catch up with you. Thanks, Walsh. Have a good okay. one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, Houston Rockets Center, Christian Wood. You can listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to also check out Jalen and Jacoby, The Low Post with Zach Lowe, and The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.